and welcome. I'm Adrienne Barbeau, actress, author, and star of Two Evil Eyes, The Convent, and The Fog, and Escape from New York. And this is She Kills, a Shudder original podcast, where we sit down and discuss all of the things we love about the genre that has given women some of the most iconic roles in film history. These women are not the victims. These women are the victors. I'm talking about the final girls. The female characters who make it to the end of the film because of their determination and ability to survive. The kick-ass femmes who get to walk off into the sunset, usually covered in blood. But you know what? We've never given much thought to the aftermath. What's a final girl to do after surviving so much trauma? In this episode, Barbara Crampton, star of Reanimator and You're Next, talks with Clark Wolf writer, host, and star of Slash, the musical, to examine the trauma of the final girl and why we remember the male monsters more vividly than we remember these kick-ass women. My name is Clark Wolf, and I am an actress and a host and, uh, and a producer. Uh, my name is Barbara Crampton, and I'm an actress, and um, I was lucky enough to have a first career um, way back in the 80s, and I've since come back in a whole new wave of um, young filmmakers, and I'm very excited to be back, and And I, I feel like since coming back, I, I it, it's sort of my job and my expectation that I want to help. Um, more women get the roles that they deserve, not just myself, but, you know, other women in the business that have maybe been forgotten because I was forgotten for a while. <laughs> now I'm back. Yeah. So the final girl is, uh, you know, traditionally the woman or female character in a usually slasher movie um, that that makes it to the end. And usually she has seen her friends be killed and she has to face off at the end with uh, with the bad guy or the the villain of right. the of the slasher film mm -hmm. and um and you know it's a trope that's really it's really interesting to watch sort of the early um the early signals or the early versions of the final girl like mm -hmm. for instance you know a lot of people point to psycho as the the precursor mm -hmm. to the modern slasher film and obviously janet lee does not right. make it to the end of right. the movie but in a lot of ways she is um that defiant character of you know know, taking the money and l running away with her lover and doing all yeah. of those things. And when we talk about, you know, the tropes of slasher movies, which I do think are tied into the final girl tropes, mm -hmm. um, a lot of times they're virginal. They, they're they the smart ones. They're the buttoned up ones. And to use the Janet Lee example, which again, pre predates what we consider, I think, what the final girl She's kind of the opposite, right? Yeah. She because she is all of those things, uh, the defiant and the sexual and and smart and sassy and and yeah. all of that. And she doesn't make it to the end of the movie. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's also important to point out because I think a lot of times we look at. Halloween uh, and Laurie Strode as one of the you know defining Ultimate exactly fi final goal. yeah and and you know Car John Carpenter has talked a lot uh, about how he never intended for the bookish asexual or non-sexual you mm -hmm. know good girl to have any sort of implications right like like meaning just because her friends were having sex and drinking and doing whatever and they got killed and she was babysitting and she didn't he he's kind of said 
said, and who knows if this was true at the time, but he he's kind of said like, no, I mean, of course her friends were out drinking and having sex because they're teenagers and she was babysitting that night. It yeah. wasn't intentional. Well, and it could have been that she was drinking that night too. And it could have been that it was somebody else that made it to the end and not Lori's true, right. but just because she happened to be babysitting. Exactly. Yeah, that yeah. she was safe. Like yes. he didn't mean for it to mean that the bookish person makes it to the end exactly. because there are those times when the person who's drinking too much or having sex with their boyfriend, those are the ones that are easily killed, right? Those, right. those are the victims that, you know, we want to see the bloodshed too. <laughs> and um, because they're distracted. They're, like, that's yeah. what he said. He's like, well, of course they're not paying attention because they're having sex and they're drinking and hanging yeah, out. Yeah, that's true too. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so to me, those are those are sort of the, the mm-hmm. tropes or defining characteristics. Yeah, and the nice thing about it, and we were talking about this earlier, is that a lot of these women... Uh, you know, are strong characters. I mean, Heather Langenkamp was a very strong character. But um, it's like the horror genre has given a voice to a strong woman. And I happened to be in a couple of Final Girl movies uh, in the early days, especially in Reanimator and From Beyond. And both of those roles had smarts to them. And um, even though Jeffrey Combs called my character um, a bubble-headed co-ed, I never played her that way. Um, I'm not sure if it was written completely for me to be as smart as I was, but I felt it was my duty as a performer and as a woman, even back then when I was young, and I didn't know as much as I know now, to imbue my character with a lot of smarts and you know be able to make it to the end. But I do applaud the horror genre. This is why I love it so much, is that it really has given a lot of opportunities to women to be kick-ass and badass in in some, you know, capacities that other genres um, haven't as much. Mm-hmm. And to give us actually good parts and big parts. So, you know, when you think about the the final girls who are um, the ones that really come specifically to memory so easily, it's like Heather Langenkamp in Nightmare on Elm Street and Marilyn Burns in Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Olivia Hussey in Black Christmas and you know, on and on. Go. So... It's interesting because I have been interested in genre film since I was very little, but I was also a very scared kid. Mm. And so, so when did you start watching horror movies? Well, so when I was little, little, like four, five, six, Ooh. I gravitated towards like a lot of the darker Tim Burton stuff, a mm-hmm. lot of dark sure. fantasy, you know, it was out in the eighties, legend and labyrinth and those kinds mm. of things. And every time I would sort of tiptoe up to a horror movie, like my older cousins would be watching it. I would have nightmares for weeks and but I was always interested. And so um I wanted to mention that so that Scream came out at a time where I was very receptive to it. Mm-hmm. And it also it also um sort of it's kind of the example I use often is uh when I finally watched uh, Goldfinger, right? Yeah. Um I grew up on Austin Powers. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't take Goldfinger seriously mm. in a way, you know, because it was just the Austin Powers movies got it so good. Oh, right. And so the deconstruction. Yeah, so you saw the deconstruction first that's before right. seeing the original. And of course, being a pop culture, <clears throat> a fan of pop culture, I knew who Freddie was. I knew who Jason was. Yeah. I knew who you know Michael Myers and, and, all, and all of the above. I knew who the scary movie names and the vision or visuals. But but I so Scream was such a big part of my horror diet and appetite so early Mm. that I think that by the time I really went back and Mm. watched a lot of the classic 
uh, slasher movies with those iconic classic final girls. They didn't scare you as much? No. Oh. I'm sorry to put words in no, your mouth, but that's they, what I'm thinking you're going to say. Yeah, the, you're, they didn't scare me as much. And on top of that, I when it came to feeling empowered, yeah. I already had the deconstruction mm-hmm. of the films themselves. Mm-hmm. And so... I've never really connected to the slasher subgenre, and mm. I'm, that's not to say because I've, I've, I was a film student and focused on political commentary and horror and science fiction mm. as a as a student. So that's not to say I cannot appreciate and and admire um, a lot of these characters specifically, but it's it's just not a it's not a character type that has ever resonated with me. And I will even go as far to say that. With Scream, even though I love Scream, and I am totally a Sydney. Like, I am 100%. I, I, on paper, I identify with her. Um, I, I didn't connect with Sydney Prescott, and I never had, and I never have. Um, mm. And so it's a really interesting thing for me to appreciate the empowerment, because I do. Yeah. But also to <clears throat> sort of go, I feel nothing here, and I don't know why. Okay, let's explore that. Oh. Why you don't you're not feeling that? But I mean, you're you're of a different generation. You're younger mm-hmm. than me, so I don't know if you know uh, the way you've grown up. I mean, the, I have kids who are 15 and 17. I have a stepson who's 23, and I don't. And and also, when you're younger, I feel like you normally accept that the world is going to offer you things it's and it's only later that you wake up and you go oh, I'm not I'm not I'm not really getting what what I I think I deserve mm-hmm. but I mean my kids and and p- potentially you feel this way I don't know that the world is even that men and women are equal oh I do not feel that you way. don't feel oh, that no. way <laughs> okay. oh, oh yeah. no oh um, no not 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 at all because I do feel like the final girl trope has given voice to women who can look on screen and say there's danger in the world and there's danger sure. out there and I too can grapple with this and be victorious and be successful and I can kill you know the bad guy the the evil Freddy or you know Jason or whoever it is I I can overcome I mean that's that's a I, I think horror movies do that as for a general the general population and that's why we watch them. We wanna we wanna see other people be victorious where we feel like we're not in our lives. Um, but for me that's what the final girl gives me, a, a sense of my own empowerment. I wonder but if But it's not for you, is it because of the comedy, but yeah, because of something else. Oh here's what I think it is. Uh I, I think, and I and I can't really crack the details, but I think it's because I've had to watch 90 minutes of other women getting killed that it doesn't oh, feel well, good for me yeah. to, you know, like, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, there is there is an artistry, and I mean that serious, sincerely, there is an artistry to the effects and the scares yes, sure. and the kills and those sequences. I, I don't deny that in any way. Um, but... But to me, the one that makes it out, it's like, but why does only one get to make it out? I, mm-hmm. I mean, good for her. I'm glad she's there and she did fight and she does vanquish whatever enemy she's facing. But I I, I don't I'm still mad about these other hmm. women. 
Wow. I think that's sort of yeah. I think that's my sticking point with with the slasher subgenre in right. general. But that's not to say like for instance, the newer movie The Final Girls, um it Todd Strauss Schulson yeah. directed and Mark Fortin and uh, Josh Miller wrote, uh, you know, really focuses on the the ideas of death, the ideas of overcoming. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that the LGBTQ community loves and embraces the final girl uh, in, a, in a certain way as well because they, they tend to identify with her and with her overcoming. Yeah, somebody who's a, maybe an totally. outsider exactly. or doesn't feel as capable or That's as right. confident and usually the final girl will feel that way in the beginning and gain her yes. confidence through, you know, whatever she's had to go through in the story. Yeah. yeah. I think it's just, yeah, and which is great. Like, I, I think that we find our heroes in places that, you know, we, we need to find them wherever we find them. It's just it's always been a certain type of character that that I've had not an aversion to but just not felt the connection to. So who are the characters that you you feel a connection well, to? So if you if you feel bad for all the people that have gotten killed, <laughs> who are you rooting for? So so I the one of the, uh, she's kind of a she's like a loose final girl. Yeah. Uh, but somebody who to me, you know, keeps going and overcoming and keeps fighting is mm-hmm. uh Joe Beth Williams and Poltergeist Diane Freeling. Mm-hmm. Now even though that's mm-hmm. not a slasher force, mm-hmm. it is a force of supernatural power that keeps coming will not stop and is yeah. trying to take everything and everyone from her. Right. And she continues to get up. Because yeah. then when you think so about it... So is it the supernatural stuff that, that affects you more that you... That maybe... Because I can understand the psychological um, ramifications of that because you're not fighting some bloody monster with, you know, with a, with a hatchet or, sure. you know... Um, um, with whatever device he's using to kill you, um, but you're fighting something that is supernatural and something that's out there that a lot of women feel connected to mm-hmm. the, the, you know, to other realms, and we we feel like we're yes. more um, intuitive and we connect with others on you know sort of an emotional and mental level. Yes, because I do know that some of the possession movies, um, the possession in particular, it's almost like with this psychological um, um, threat, what do you have to combat that? Mm-hmm. I mean, if if you're being chased by Jason or Freddy mm-hmm. or something like that, you know, you you can grab a knife, you can lock the door, you can, in, you know, in the new Halloween, you, you can create these escape rooms yeah. or, you know, press a button and these gates yeah. go across like she did, which was kind of cool. But how do you escape somebody who's mentally fucking with you? That, you know, and I will say, even as a young person and, and even as a person who was studying film academically and now as a person who talks about movies a lot, that was always a sticking point for me with slasher films as well. was like, okay, well, if Michael Myers is in Haddonfield, then just go somewhere else. Which, yeah. which And I'm not being dismissive right. at all. It just, mm-hmm. for whatever reason, my mm-hmm. brain is like, well, okay, just so don't be in Woodsboro. Don't be in Haddonfield. Yeah. Don't go to that camp. But why were they so popular back then? So is it something because as you're talking, I'm thinking it's, you know, it's a very, film's a very visual medium. Yes. So it's something tactile that you can actually see. You can see the blood. You can see the, the gore and a lot of people, I don't know. They, and it's a release. It's a release. You get that yes. release of, of seeing something horrible happen on screen 
by being in an audience and and collectively with a bunch of other people, you can have your emotional response to it. You know, you can be freaked out and scared, and you also know that you're safe. But there's something very, very, um, even though you're watching it visually, it's, it feels tactile in a way that you're actually seeing something visually happen on screen. And something psychological is, you know, that, that subgenre of the final girl or you know is is kind of um it's a little bit more airy fairy or nebulous you can't really put your hands on it's not as it's not as exacting uh visually I don't know. Is, do you think that's why it was popular? Why was it popular? Well, it's, I think it's popular for all of those reasons and also for the release and also for the tension. You know, um, this actually leads perfectly into something that I wanted to bring up, which is so the idea of why people go to see horror movies, but slasher movies specifically. And, you know, the idea has always been that, you know, a guy takes his date and mm-hmm. you go and you snuggle up and there's yeah, something sure. scary and I'm the protector uh. or someone's the protector and the lady yeah. screams or whatever it is and there is a bit of there there's a um a similarity to sexual tension right the build up the build up the build up sure. the, release, the release yeah right? i guess so you have that, yeah. but but i want to bring up the evolution of the final girl mm-hmm. and the slasher movie okay. and i think that because I've been thinking about this a lot, mm-hmm. especially in the wake of Halloween 2018 and and continuing Laurie Strode's uh, arc mm-hmm. with Jamie in that role. Mm-hmm. And the idea of how do you do this with a franchise? So here's what I think about Halloween 18. It's like, or 2018. Um you have to do a. Re- I my hat is actually really off to David Gordon Green and Danny McBride and their third co-writer, who I cannot remember his name, and I apologize. But um, so you have to do so many things with a mainstream, iconic mm-hmm. character. People who are coming to see Halloween, they want to scream and mm-hmm. go ah and laugh, and they want to see Michael Myers and they want to see death and they want to see all this stuff, but they want to see people fight back, right? But Halloween 2018 really tried to address PTSD. Mm -hmm. They really tried to address gaslighting. You know, like the idea that that Lori has been saying, this happened to me, this is real, it's never going to stop. And even her family says, you're overreacting. This is a little too much. You're a little too much. Why don't you just get over it? And... And, you know, ultimately in the finale, and I'm not going to spoil anything, but ultimately in the finale, obviously Michael comes back for her and there's a showdown. So I bring this up because the movie I want to see is Jamie's is Laurie's story. Right. And, And I felt like what we got in this one was this this mainstream it had to be mainstream right because the truth is mainstream audiences don't want to come and watch a a, a story about PTSD for 90 minutes especially no. under the guise of Michael Myers Halloween the franchise yeah, is ma- back and it made sense for them to do that especially because we've been talking about PTSD a yes. lot lately yeah hats off to them for actually bringing that in and and she did so well oh, with the yes. material and so believable. I had uh, lunch yesterday with Kayla Janice, and she wrote um, House of Psychotic Women, which I haven't read yet, but um, she's been sort of a friend of mine on social media, like you have, Clark, mm-hmm. and now we're meeting, which is awesome. I love when women come together, people come together in general. Um, and I said, what's your favorite Final Girl movie? And she said, um, 
Well, one of them is when a stranger calls back. And I said, what's that? Because I hadn't heard of it. Right. And I'd seen When a Stranger Calls with Carol Kane many years ago. But I didn't know about When a Stranger Calls Back. And it, this relates to the PTSD yeah. issue. But um, uh, it was a TV movie. And it's Jill Sholin and um, Carol Kane. And, and Jill uh, Sholin has... Um, an episode where she's babysitting and this guy comes in and uh, abducts the two children that she's babysitting for and the children are never found again, dead or alive. And it's five years later and she's at a college and she um, experiences this guy stalking her again and things change in her apartment and they move around and she goes to the police station to tell uh, the police look. Some somebody's messing with me, and this is my history from long ago. And the and the guys in the police station are like, "Yeah, this girl's crazy. What's going on with her?" And Carol Kane says, "No. I mean, when you've gone through an experience like she's gone through, and that I went through, then you know where your coffee cup is in the room. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. that something's been changed in your closet." Um, the window was open and they think that she's, you know, off her rocker because the window was open. And Carol Kane says, no, this this is this is true. You have to believe these women. So it's kind of similar to yeah. what these guys did in Halloween 2018. I mean, just believe Jamie Lee Curtis. She was ferocious in that role. Oh, yes. Too. I mean, I, you know, and a lot of people watch these movies for the villain and the iconic, you know, Freddie and Jason and whatever, but we we were all tuning into that movie because of her. Well, and you know, there was this beautiful moment at San Diego Comic Con this summer where she was doing her a panel at Halloween, and a man stood up and said during the Q and A and said. I want you to know that I actually did survive a home invasion, mm. and I survived because I watched right, and I loved this that. film. I actually watched that too. I, I remember when that hit social media, yeah. and I clicked on that somewhere, and the guy stood up and said that it was so moving. I mean, it brought me to tears, and it brought her to tears. Joseph and I want to ask a question for Jamie Lee Curtis. Yes. Uh, first of all. I'm just really grateful for the movie Halloween because 34 years ago it saved my life. Um, I was in a situation where someone had cut the phone wires and a guy was running around with a knife. Um, I was scared out of my mind and out of nowhere this thought inside of me went, well, what would Jamie Lee Curtis do? (laughs) Um, Our our dog, Duchess, bit up these uh, knitting needles and so I grabbed them out of the trash and I saw the guy with the knife on one side of the house. I ran out, ran down to the neighbor and started screaming like you did in the movie. <laughs> and the guys, I said, well, what's in your hand? I said, they're just knitting needles. And they said, not with those knitting needles, we're not gonna let you in our house. But to make a long story short, I'm here today because of the way that you portrayed Lori Strode. I'm a victor today instead of a victim. Just like those people that you were talking about. Wow. And I never thought I'd get it. You're the only reason I came to Comic-Con this year. And and there yeah. was another instance in um, I, the, the Dirty John podcast, uh, which is a, a great 
true crime podcast that's being um, adapted into like a TV series. But uh, I bring it up because one of the girls who was being attacked, Mm -hmm. she was a Walking Dead fan. And she knew... Go for the head. How to fight that? Yeah, uh-huh. it's true. That's, that's she amazing. she thought about it like it was wow. a zombie attack, and she said the only way to vanquish a zombie that's is to go for the head, and it saved her life, and it saved. Oh. I know goosebumps, right? right? I have them. Yeah. Me too. But how to survive in the world by watching horror movies? And it's, yeah. So it is. These are such important conversations to have. You brought up something earlier that I would love to talk about, which is the idea of. Um, Terminator mm-hmm. and Alien yeah. and those final girls right. because I think most people would argue that the first Terminator and the first Alien movie mm-hmm. were horror movies mm-hmm. um, just yeah. you know draped sure. in different mythology essentially and I think a lot of people would argue that you know the Terminator is uh, J- Michael Myers or yeah. the, the unstoppable force right, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and so but I but I I thought that was a really really good a different shade of a final girl mm-hmm. and and how audiences kind of respond to them is really interesting. Yeah, we were talking about what we were going to talk about in the show <laughs> when I first got here. And, um, you know, there's a lot of final girls that we can all recall and, and, and talk about and we all love and remember. But Linda Hamilton in The Terminator and Sigourney Weaver in Alien, those ladies were different. I mean, there was a lot of money thrown into those movies. They weren't small budget movies like some of the movies that I've been in and and originally like Adrian King and Friday the 13th, you know, um, part two, her, you know, that was a smaller budget and Olivia Hussey and Black Christmas and, you know, Heather Langenkamp and Nightmare on Elm Street. They, you know, they were softer girls um, and there wasn't as much money thrown at those movies. So, you know, you, you see the difference. But in, in budget terms, but for for Linda and Sigourney playing these characters that are so masculine, they seem to live on in a way and be more important to certain to a certain segment of the population because I think a lot of men can relate to them as women um, that they like, yeah. you know, that they feel like, yeah, that she kicks ass. I mean, I feel that way too. Um, but there's some reason why maybe they are at the top of what we remember. Yeah, I think for me, I, I had this conversation. I actually just had this conversation about Terminator 2 specifically and um, on my podcast. And, you know, it's amazing to see the evolution from Terminator to Terminator 2. Because in Terminator, mm. Sarah Connor is kind of like... Well, oh, that's true. You're right. You're right you know? about that. Yes. And she's like, mm-hmm. she's, it is more Terminator too. Yeah, but Not, yeah, but they, but I believe mm-hmm. that we should look at them as a whole, honestly, mm-hmm. because because a lot of because that's how audiences remember them. And and Sarah Connor has this crazy fast, ev- crazy evolution. I, I mean, and I understand the explanation is well, there was seven years or ten years in between, and and so you just you know we pick up the story seven years later or whatever, and of course she's become this military like, you know, person. Um, But I do think that there is something to stripping the femininity Mm -hmm. out of these characters and why mainstream audiences remember them. They remember them a little more. Yeah, they do. They absolutely do. And I think it's because there's an element of what 
traditionally male audiences, I would argue, are comfortable with watching their female hero do. And right. you know what I mean? Which that, that that maybe they can relate to. Right. Yeah. And and Alien is another really interesting example because I just rewatched that movie a couple of times for for a, another docu series and um Ripley is just such an interesting character, the way that the people sort of react to her um, in that, you know, she was, R- Ripley was written as a man in that mm-hmm, original right. script um, and then cast Sigourney Weaver and, and whatever. But but the decisions that she makes are so, they're calculated because she's really good at her job mm-hmm. and people in that, on the crew, hate her for it. Mm-hmm. And the thing that's so interesting to me about Ripley that is final that I think makes her one of the definitive final girls in in Alien is that she just doesn't want to die. Like yeah. it's it's kind of as simple as that. She's figuring it out and mm-hmm. she's running around and just like just like these are iconic traditional slasher mm-hmm. uh, final girls, they they rely on themselves. They reach down in their guts and they go, "Okay, I I don't want to die." So here we go, you know, mm-hmm. whereas in, you know, Terminator 2 and Aliens, now there's an, a vendetta like yeah. now. And then and both, by the way, Terminator 2 and Aliens, thanks to James Cameron. James Cameron clearly has an archetype that he is comfortable working mm-hmm. in when mm-hmm. it comes to his. And James Cameron, I would argue, to his core, is a horror fan. Yeah. You can see it in his early work. And you can also see there's a lot of horror elements in both Aliens and Terminator 2, mm-hmm. um, even if they are maybe more action films or whatever mm-hmm. but yeah it's a really the the change that mm-hmm. those characters undergo and as you point out brilliantly I think the way that audiences are receptive to them and remember them mm-hmm. but are but yeah you know I mean you look at Nightmare on Elm Street and Heather Langenkamp and Amanda Wiss both do amazing yes, work in yeah. the movie and I just rewatched it again um another time because my I was showing it to my 17-year-old son and he's now of the age where he's saying oh you're kind of cool mom <laughs> you're in horror movies can we watch a horror movie together and even if I'm tired or I have other stuff to do I drop everything I'm like yeah Luke I I totally want to watch a horror movie with you and um, we watched it and I, I mean Heather is remembered but not as much mm-hmm. as some of these these other final girls and Freddy Krueger's on screen for six minutes in that movie, and he's the one you remember. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he is memorable, but you know, the, it's these iconic bad guys that we that we really root for. But I I wanted to also maybe talk about another movie that I was involved with, where I felt like this woman was very badass. Is um, Sharni Vincent mm-hmm. in your next? And she was uh, she was super strong and. Um, and even in the story they had written, and I forget exactly what happened, but something in her past, her her yes. dad, her survivalist dad was a survivalist. Yeah, her dad was a survivalist. So you know, she had all these skills at the ready when it mattered most, and she was super kick-ass. Yeah. I mean, that movie was pretty well received. But I I go back to some of these women because I'm so pro pro woman, and I'm trying to you know, like we all are, trying to have equal opportunity employment for minorities and women and, you know, people that are disenfranchised and forgotten. And, you know, we need to lift people up. And I 
I really thought after that film and after Sharni Vincent's performance that she would become a major star. And I don't know if that has something to do with the trope that she played in the movie or not. You know, what do you think? Well, I think that what we see, I think that's an industry problem. Maybe. Because I think what we see is people can, even though you are next, was very well received critically. It maybe didn't perform financially at the in its theatrical release the way that I think Lionsgate was hoping it yeah. would. And of course has developed a following and been found on VOD and been found on Blu-ray. Um, Adam and Simon, mm-hmm. clearly, you know, the, I think the industry said, okay, even though people didn't get the movie, even though audiences didn't get the movie, we believe in you guys. We're going to keep making movies with you. Right. Um, and I think it's just a matter of the people who are calling the shots. I have a question about your next and Sharni's character. That, mm-hmm. that, and, and if you have an answer, great. And if not, also fine. Mm-hmm. The Something that always stood out to me was that line of, oh, well, I grew up in a survivalist colony. Yeah. And I remember being like, well, why is that? Like, why did they write that in? Oh. Why can't she just? Oh be, yeah. Why can't she just not want to die? And also, her boyfriend is a numbnuts, and so somebody has to take control, right? Yeah. Like, when I was watching the movie, right. I was. You, they didn't. You didn't need that. I didn't need. No, that. you're right. I. You're right. I. I don't. I never even thought about it. I but I think so you're right. Frustrated when oh, I was watching. Yeah. That was the one thing, and I was. Ugh. Oh, I. You know, I love those guys so much. Oh, me too. They, I'm a you know, fan. So, and, I'm a and fan. Simon. <laughs> Simon was awesome, and I remember on the set. You know, that was my sort of my comeback movie. But um, I'm on the set, and Simon came up to me and said, "Do you like what you're saying? Because if you don't like what you're saying, you can say." Something else. Let's talk about it. And I was like, "What? Nobody ever, That's awesome. ever told me that on a set." But I, so at the time, I'm sure he also gave that opportunity to Sharni and also to AJ Bowen. Had you know that huge speech at the end, and I, I think he told AJ he could, you know, change that speech around, which uh, I think he did a little bit. But yeah, why did she need that extra um, training to actually be that final goal? She didn't. She didn't need that, but they threw that in there. Yeah. Say, let me show you something quickly. Okay, so you just want to make sure that the nail goes all the way through. See that? Mm-hmm. Just do, say, four or five on this one, and we'll just do as many as we can. Okay. Can I ask you something? How did you learn all this stuff? Well, I had kind of a weird childhood. I grew up on a survivalist compound. I haven't even told Crispin that yet. Good answer. Just yeah. was something. That so we want to be mad about that for a no, minute. No, never. No, and again, I you know yeah. anybody who knows anything about me, I I love Adam Wingard. I love Simon Barrett. I am a They're fan, amazing. of course. Yeah. But like you know, it's just that was always in the context of our final girls. Why can't the final girl win because of whatever? Because not because she doesn't her. want they, to die. She, <laughs> yeah, because she doesn't want to die, and you know. 
Yeah. Why does she have to have some other training yeah. to actually be victorious? I don't know. Uh, that's the a question for them. <laughs> the, yeah, that's a question for everybody to ponder. And you know, the final girl. Why does she? Why does she win? Why is she victorious? And all these different types of final girls. Where do they come from? And where are we going with the final girls? Right. You know, moving forward. If, because we'll always have the final girl trope will always be there. And and you know, depending on the zygus of you know what's happening in society. You know, what skills do they have or they don't have or where do they come from? It's it's always um, something new to talk about. Yeah. Oh, well, Clark, it's Bye. such a pleasure to meet you <laughs> so and fun. chat with you. And now I can really put a real face yes. um, to the avatar that I see Absolutely. on Twitter and that I occasionally comment and things that you're doing. But, you know, you're so smart. And so it was such a pleasure to talk with you and um, and hear your knowledge and yeah, it was really Thank fun. I hope we get to do it again. Me too. The feeling is completely mutual, and we have so many friends in common who, who love you and speak so highly of you. And, um, and you know, I know that all to be true, of course, but it was really yeah. nice to sit down and, and do this with you specifically. Yeah, and to talk about women yes. and, you know, women in the genre and how we can um, promote them and talk about them more and love them and embrace them. Yes. Thank you, Barbara and Clark. You know, I was almost a final girl. When we filmed Escape from New York, the scene of me firing on the Duke on the bridge ended with Maggie firing on the Duke on the bridge. And John Carpenter, the director, put the film together, screened it for a group of people. And I've been told, I haven't been able to get verification of this or not, but I've been told that J.J. Abrams was a very young man at the time, his dad worked for Avco Embassy, I think, and he was in the audience for the screening. And he raised his hand and asked John, well, what happened to Maggie? Did she live? Did she die? What happened to her? So I got back into the costume. I boiled another turkey breast because that's what I was using for the hair clip in the back of my hair. I put my makeup back on. We cleaned out our garage in Studio City, California. I laid down on the ground on the cement in the garage. John poured blood all around my head and took that final shot of Maggie dead, supposedly on the bridge. So thanks, JJ. I could have been a final girl. I'm Adrienne Barbeau, and this has been She Kills, a Shudder original podcast, executive produced by Blair Bercy, Killian Van Rensler, Jordana Freyberg, and Deborah Henderson, hosted by Adrienne Barbeau, associate produced by Nancy Himmel, supervising producer Cara Frias, featuring interviews with Barbara Crampton and Clark Wolfe, sound recording, design, and mixing by Iceman Audio. Production sound mixing and re-recording mixing by Evan Menick. Supervising sound editing and re-recording mixing by Michael Capuano. Composed by Doug Bossie. Music by iSpy Music. Production manager, Kay Tinder. Production legal, Jordan Rock. Production accounting, Stephen D. Smith. For Shudder, Owen Shiflett, Robin Jones, and Nicholas Lazo. She Kills. The characters and events depicted in this podcast are fictional, 
any similarity to any actual person living or dead, or to any actual events, firms, places, and institutions, or other entities, is coincidental and unintentional. This podcast is protected under the laws of the United States and other countries, and its unauthorized duplication, distribution, or exhibition may result in civil liability and criminal prosecution. Country of first publication, United States of America. She Kills. Copyright 2018. Digital Store, LLC. All rights reserved.